Hey, how's it going, guys? It's Play One Crimson Lamp Party. Also, we got Player Two, Mel's, aka Binge Bay. And I'm Player Three, Jim Vavita with IGN. Hey, and we're Lamp Party. Lamp so, Party. No, oh, there you go. All right, so. <laughs> Today we have a special episode. We thought season three of Lampard was done, but psych, we're back. And we have a special episode. We're doing a soul review with, you know, we have Binge Bay in the building. And we also have Jim himself from IGN, who did his very own soul review on YouTube. Go check that out. We will be linking that down. But before we get into soul, Jim. Give us your comic book story, origin story. We would love to know <laughs> who you are. With there were no radioactive spiders and, and no, uh, you know, no, no planets that blew up. Nothing that, nothing that cool. Okay. Um, but no, I basically have been um, doing this for a while now. I started, I'm in my, uh, you know, uh, 40s now. So it's like I've been doing this for a while. And I started by just screwing off at my temp job that I hated back when the, the internet like um, movie fan sites were just starting. And uh, I started as like a guy that I, I used to get access to. They were produced. I do like reviews to them or write up some news about these projects and Long story short, I ended up having my own site for a while and then got hired by IGN. And I've been with them for 20 years total, but I've been full-time staff with them for about 14 years. Now I'll be 15 next spring. So I'm like one of the, the old men of the of uh, the online movie community. A lot of the sites that I came up with are gone and IGN, you know, is mostly, uh, you know, known for their gaming site, but they've been covering movies for 20 years. And I know because I was the one doing it. So it's like, uh, it's been, you know, kind of an amazing experience to see the start with like the wild west days of the internet to, where they are now when you're doing all these like to be candid you're kind of just another part of the apparatus in terms of the launch of movies and stuff um you know back in the day i thought you know oh we'll we'll figure out how to like make the studios work for us and or like how to uh sort of democratize uh all that but uh, Hollywood, the system found a way, you know, to, to still just make it a job, you know, but it's, it's been a really fun, you know, um, career for myself. And it certainly wasn't a thing I started doing to be a career. It was, I, I, I frankly, I was just doing it cause I hated the job I had. And, um, here we are. I've been, uh, beyond had been screwing up. Uh, so. Wow. Yeah. So, so that takeaway, kids, is screw off at work and do the thing you actually really like doing. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. You joined IGN when I was eight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, please tell me you mean in, when I started in 2000, not 2006. That'll make me feel really old. You know, oh, you God, 2000. 2000? <laughs> I was okay. eight. 
All right. Yeah. And well, <laughs> if it makes you feel so, yeah, I do get a, a few people be like, uh, you know, uh, I, I used to read your stuff as a kid or whatever. And, and it's so weird. But then I realized like when I've interviewed actors and I've like geeked out with them and I know it's like nowhere near as comparable. I'm not in any way, shape or form putting myself at that level. But I'm like, and I see that sort of crestfallen look on their face of like, uh, you know, I mentioned some project they did like 30 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I've been at this for a while. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I, I'm just glad to have you here now, to be quite honest. It's, if it wasn't for IGN, Land Party Podcast wouldn't exist. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, I, I want to say thank you, first of all, for, for having me on the show. And, and uh, you know, uh, nice to make both of your acquaintances. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been fun. It's been a fun gig, dude. I'm not going to lie. It's been I've been, uh, you know, I grew up working class and never really thought um, I would get a chance to see parts of the world. And doing this job has allowed me to see the world on mostly on somebody else's dime to be, to be <laughs> completely candid about it. Like the studio will pay you for are you. The dream. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also too, like there are a lot of, you know, obviously you, you, there are things you can't do then if you do a set visit, like you shouldn't be doing a review and all that kind of jazz, but it's been, it's been a, a, uh, uh, an interesting, um, just experience, you know, I never would have thought, you know, I, I would get to do that. So, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's been, it's been, it's in the words of cap in the famous final words of captain Kirk, it was fun. So that's a start. Show that age. Because I made a star Trek five reference or no, actually no, not star Trek five. Star Trek Generations. So there we go. Show that age. You guys are already regretting having me on this, aren't you? Not, no. I, I was the first. Say that. Sorry, you know Greg. Would you say that working at IGN was like your dream job? There was no reference point for that kind of job. So I would say no, it was. Uh, it, be perfectly candid. I, I looked at it at the time as a stepping stone, uh, as a great, cool way to pay the bills until something else came along. And before I knew it, all these years had gone by. I worked too in between. I, when I was, I, I started as a full time freelancer for IGN. So I did that for six years. And in that time, I worked at The Hollywood Reporter as an online editor for them for about a year. It was a short tenure, but I, I learned a lot working there. Um, and then I went to IGN full time, but I would say, no, it wasn't a dream job. I mean, to me, the dream job would have been like, you know, screenwriter, you know, like I, it's, and I, I went out to LA for that and I got pretty close a few times, but you know, never, never quite got the brass ring. And doing this job, I realized, you know, like I had a, a good gig with benefits and everything. And I didn't want to screw that up. And you had to, I imposed and, and you should impose this if you're in this line of work. Like you have to have sort of ethical boundaries because you do get to meet producers all the time and make a lot of sources. 
But I saw a lot of people essentially using their job to try and get their foot in the door to sell their scripts and all that. And it, it maybe I probably sound really dumb and naive, like a Ned Stark type for drawing a line in the sand doing that. But it's like I had such a cool gig and I never wanted to go back to answering phones again that I was like, I better not screw this up. I better do it right. And then like, meanwhile, everyone else I knew was like, not everyone else I knew, but a few people I knew like, and then I'm selling a script or getting on staff on shows. And like, in hindsight, I probably should have, you know, muddied the waters there and, and done that. But I was like, it just ethically didn't seem like it was a good line to cross. And it's not. But, you know, people do it and are still doing it. And, you know, uh, so I don't know if Pixar calls me tomorrow and like, look, we read your your soul review and we thought you had some good points. Do you want to come and write for us? I'd be like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Kemp Powers, the guy who was the co-writer and director on, on soul, he's got a similar background in that, you know, he's a similar age to me and he... He did video game journalism, I think, and, and music journalism. He may have done movie journalism too at some point, but like, you know, I, I, creative. My creative outlet now is playwriting, theater, and stuff like that. Because I'm like, all right, well, I'm not um, crapping where I eat there. That's for sure, you know. Uh, and Kemp Powers also had a background in theater, and that's how I that that was my exposure to him was. I saw One Night in Miami as a stage play in L.A. and was done at this really awesome local theater. And I think it was its world debut there. And I remember watching this play, like, this thing is great. This is exactly the kind of thing, like, you know, these are the kind of plays I I love. And so I found him online on Twitter, and I started following him and DM'd him and everything. And then he got the Star Trek gig. And now, of course, One Night Miami is coming out, and he's got Soul coming out, and... uh yeah, so he's he's kind of like a great um, template, I think, for you know uh, people in the scene, in my particular scene, who are kind of looking for maybe a creative, a more creative second act in their lives. You know, he's got a he's 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 an interesting his is an interesting story. I find interesting that. Um you you have this line of ethics that you wouldn't cross right and i know this is going to be the weirdest pivot <laughs> you feel as me, the no. main character of soul did not follow that <laughs> well you know what i actually like that segue that was a pretty good segue um i think i understood like this movie seemed to be it, it was made by middle-aged men and i want to say it was for middle-aged men because my little niece and i i've seen this movie i've seen soul now three and a half times <laughs> the first time we did a press day a long lead which are more for uh movies especially disney and pixar movies so what what that means is they show you about 35 minutes of a movie and then you, uh, so you don't, you get enough set up in flavor of the movie to be able to talk about it in some detail without getting into the really spoiler stuff. Mm-hmm. So we did that for Soul. And even then I was like, this movie doesn't seem like it's really for kids. And so then I saw the full movie. And then I was like, and I was mixed on it. And I was like, man, I love Pixar movies. What's wrong with me? So I watched it again. 
And I was like, no, I still feel the same way. And I wrote my review off that. And then on Christmas Day, I watched it with my niece, who's 11, and we're really looking forward to seeing this movie. And at the very end, when it looks like Joe's going into the light, she burst into tears, screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I'm like, oh, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, we don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, this is not what Pixar wants. They don't want an 11 year old kid having a fucking existential crisis watching their movie. (laughs) Hearing her mother, my sister, says, You're like hugging her and screaming, crying. I'm like, Holy shit. (laughs) And even my, my sisters and I watch, and we're like, I'm like, there are a lot of things with this movie that's bleak. Like my sister pointed out something I, I couldn't quite put my finger on, but at the end, and spoilers for those who are listening to these Soul podcasts but haven't watched Soul, um, when they're on the escalator at the very end before Joe gets his like, I mean, we see it in the beginning too, but it's particularly impactful at the end before he gets his deal to go back and get a second chance. They're going up into this big white light that has no character and then you hear the zap and they're like <laughs> getting zapped in a light. And it's like, it's just oblivion. They're going into oblivion. It's the most existential soul crushing thing. And they're like, Jesus. And like, my niece started bawling. Like it is, it's fucked up. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Even Coco is like, Coco is a far better movie. We're dealing with like the afterlife, that depressing moment, or like a, a caveat to the whole thing, where um, I'm dra- drawing a blank on the character's name, but you know, he's the kid's real father, and he says at one point, like, when you're forgotten, you just disappear, and one day everyone is kind of forgotten because their relatives uh, are mourning the next group of people. And that was really that that is never want to hear. Yeah. And that was like unsettling for that movie. But this one is like, oh, no, your ass is just going to get zapped like a bug into a light. And that's it. You know, like, holy shit. (laughs) Thanks. I could definitely say Coco handled death in a more child appropriate way. It was a lot Mm. more exciting to watch. It was definitely a lot more child friendly. It's actually one of my favorite Disney movies. (laughs) I thought it was it's great. Really the music good. was great. Storyline, excellent. Characters, yeah. amazing. The colors were super vibrant. I thought well, it I just thought was amazing. Great giving, like, I, I feel like my biggest problem with Soul isn't Joe or any of the real world stuff. It's all the great beyond and you seminar stuff. I found that because I feel like they you know, they kind of, they screwed up the first rule of science fiction, which is, you know, if you're going to create a, a world, you have to, it's the rule, stick to it. And, um, and like within the first few moments, they already are going back on it. So, okay. I, I, I saw it at least in the first few times I saw it, I'm pretty sure it's still in there. I don't know why they would cut it, but when he, when Joe is there early and he's talking to like the first Jerry, mm-hmm. and 
the little kids are doing that uh hell 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 all that remember how they they at one point like bite his hand and he says ow mm-hmm. okay how do you, you feel get that? to the scene you get to the pizza scene with 22 and she's smacking and she says so you can't feel anything here so why did he say ah wait was that not one of those like reaction kind of moments like you know when you're a child and like you get plucked it didn't hurt you just go ow it didn't and then you like you're yeah, saying it didn't hurt I i wonder but it was like it was it was enough that I noted it, and I, I'm that. But that's part of the problem with like the great beyond stuff to me is that you end up having to like walk back and like try to justify some of that stuff for yourself. And like it's it's it to me, I thought it was that was the part of the movie that was that had the biggest um, that kind of pulled me out of the story. Like whenever it was this Joe and his family and his community, I was like, I wanted to see more of that. In fact, I, I really wanted them to go even deeper and really let us know like what's at stake for Joe. But, and, and I didn't really get a chance just because, you know, there's X amount of real estate that you can do in a review. But like when you get back to New York, you know, and he's in the cat's body, it's not like Joe is getting able to, you know, he's not the one getting to like reaffirm these friendships with like even his barber and stuff like that. It's Joe, but the vehicle, if you will, is being driven by 22, right? And it's like a weird, I don't know if you guys saw Wonder Woman 1984, but it's strange that both movies that came out the same day have like a body getting hijacked by another character and they both have this a lot of like nods to like heaven can wait and like it's just a really strange thing because you have 22 then getting to be the one that kind of creates the or deepens these relationships for joe and you're like but it's that's joe's story it's not like 22 suddenly kind of hijacks the thing and i'm like i don't know i just didn't like the character of 22 enough to see her kind of it become like about her journey. I'm like, look, she's been around for thousands of years. Like Joe is a, a regular dude and he's just trying to like, he, all he wants to do is just get to this gig that might just be, you know, it's not even like he gets to go on TV or something, right? Like even Arthur Fleck got to be on TV, you know, and Joker. Joe just wants to play the local club. That's all he wants. It's like the the smallest want. He just, you know, and that's the thing I liked about it. It's like he just wants that one little thing to make him happy. And and so much of it then gets kind of like hijacked by this other character. So you, you see, all right. My thing when it came to 22 was I felt like she was a bit necessary because this movie, in my opinion, teetered between passion and obsession. Mm. And I think he was very obsessed with the fact that he wanted, on his fact that he wanted to go back, that he was disconnected from his, as you said, like his community, his mother, like he was disconnected from these things. And Sadly enough, it was 22 having to drive the car for him to take a step back and notice like, wow, I am doing way too much right now. I need to because he wasn't 
he wasn't noticing like the things around him, the people around him. Like the most impactful moment to me, the two most impactful moments to me were the conversation he had with his barber and that that last back and forth he had with his mother. You yeah. Know, I thought those were the two pivotal turning points to show that Joe was too obsessed with his passion. Yeah, he was also like strangely there was a bit of a selfishness to him i guess in a way or maybe not selfishness but like there's a he was and this is i think where the character the mother comes in is like saying like you know joe you got to think of these other things in life like you know like the fact that his mother is still doing his laundry for him right like like but that there's even at the end and i think if they had done a different thing with the ending, like the last time you see Joe, all right, he just steps outside and he looks at the leaves and he smiles. And it's like, all right, it's pretty. Yeah, fall in New York is pretty. Fall everywhere is pretty. But like, I wanted to see him, now that he's learned something, how is he going to apply it? Because clearly he was shown from the scenes with the barber and, and with the his mother and everything, like, he didn't like did he actually learn anything about how he connects with other people so instead of any with him just walking outside and looking at the leaves which again makes it about like him thinking about 22 it's like he should um he should have you know should we have seen him go to his mom's place or working with his student or mm -hmm. you know doing so you know mentoring a kid anything like what did he actually apply to his life now that he got a second chance and walking out and looking at the pretty sky to me is just the most bland way of of trying to make it seem happy but it's like what does that tell you like oh it's a nice day today well that's great joe but like you know do you go back and call that girl you broke up with lisa or whatever like you get these like i wanted to see him connect with somebody at the very end and instead he's still alone and he's just like leaves i'm like all right whatever <laughs> before i watched the movie i ruined it for myself a little bit i went on to twitter nobody spoiled anything thank goodness but um i did see a lot of people commenting on the end without saying anything about the end yeah. And a lot of people were like, it was very anticlimactic. I would have liked to have seen like what happens next. How did how could they have ended the movie there? Like, we don't even know what Joe is going to do. But yeah. um, after watching the movie, I was actually really satisfied with the ending because there were so many eye opening moments that he had while he was in the cat's body that it was like I couldn't imagine him not making a change and not making mm -hmm. a difference. And I think yeah. 22. I think 22 had to hijack his body. One, because 22 was the child element of this movie. This movie, if you take 22 out of this movie, this was definitely for nostalgic millennials and Gen Xers, a thousand yeah. percent. <laughs> and, um, and 22. Yeah, it's really, really you having a midlife crisis? Here's soul. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I, you know what? As a millennial, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was amazing. I don't think it was something that mm -hmm. I could compare to Coco. I felt like this would probably be in its own genre, some type of weird adult Disney genre. But, um, yeah. but I think 22 <laughs> had to hijack the body because I think it's like seeing the world through a child's eyes. You know, it's weird too. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I thought you were done. Sorry. 
Oh, um, so I was just, you know, seeing the world through a child's eyes. He had to see that in order to realize, oh, so I shouldn't maybe be so consumed by music because if he had just went in and done that gig with, you know, his small town idol, I think he would have ended up one of those lost souls. I think the yeah, only thing that was really, really keeping him tethered was that passion for music and he would play so often he still had that passion. But I think, I think he would have become one of the lost souls. I think it'd be, yeah, that's interesting because you also see that with like, and again, like it's something that 22 connects with, uh, was it Chloe, right? His student um, who wants to quit. So she's kind of like the human version of 22, right? Where she's like, oh, this is stupid or whatever. And I'm over it. And then like gets kind of talked back into it, um, albeit indirectly. But like she, um, I thought that was, that to me also was a necessary character because you need to see like that this man, he feels like he has like his life was meaningless or whatever but to that kid it's not meaningless because kids do remember yeah we all remember our bad teachers but we remember our good ones too you know and like, and like, like curly yeah 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 curly right like he would like it so the i thought that was a really nice touch too that it was like the fact that joe has had an impact on these people's lives um it was kind of like it's a wonderful life thing right like all the the ripple it's not so much that george bailey himself is interesting it's that he was that he was there for others right and and they in turn got to also have the life that they would like you know because of this one individual and i think you know i, I just I, I guess i would have liked to have seen a bit more maybe if if there was even an extra five minutes at the end or something like that something to pay off all of that because you know, like the most interesting people in the movie, the most, you know, maybe they're not the most, um, they don't get the catchiest lines like they do in the great beyond, but everyone in Joe's real life are almost literally flesh and blood people. Like the way they're animated is so photorealistic with the way the lighting glistens on skin or like his hands when he's playing the piano or when he's out in new york city and it, you like when he walks out of the hospital when it's 22 in his body and they come out of the hospital and that like wave of sound and light hits like that feels like live action you know and it's just amazing and like that i thought on a technical level there were so many amazing um feats in in soul that I think really my biggest problem with the movie still comes down to the Hughes seminar and the great beyond, which is also the thing that makes it, you know, I guess a Pixar movie in a way, but this is, I feel like this is the first Pixar movie that could have easily have been a live action movie. Cause again, like heaven can wait. We've had body swap movies, even people and their pets trading places. Yeah, like the shaggy, the what is it, the shaggy dog or whatever, the these movies. Or so I feel like this has done a movie where like easily have been live action. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't know if we could have done Inside Out that way. I think that would have been pretty bizarre. <laughs> the reason why I feel like the youth seminar wasn't that 
bad. I don't know if it was your review precisely or another review I watched. Before I was watching a lot of reviews before I came into this, but um, someone said something in the aspect of um, what was it precisely? The youth seminar, like, what was the point of it? Because people's experiences and like individual experiences really make up their characters. Oh, that was, yeah, that was mine. That was, um, I basically was saying like, it was, I think maybe if they had reordered like the first going through the U seminar, right. And Jerry had baby souls with him and he's like hitching a ride. Right. And so she's like, okay, you're going to be aloof and you're going to be this. And I was like, she arbitrarily decides these souls, the key element of their personality. And it's like, all right, then what does it matter then like what your life experiences were? Because you, I, to me, the argument is Joe is who he is because his dad took him to that club when he was a little kid. I don't know how Joe would have turned out if his dad had been like, Hey, let's go to an amusement park today instead or something. But like his father took him, his father was a musician and he took him to the club and that's where his, that's how he found a spark. His, his dad was his mentor, not some soul in the great beyond, right? Like, or the great before. And, um, and so to me, it was like, Joe is who he is because of what happened in this world. You know, the jazz didn't get invented in the great before it got invented here on earth. And so like, I didn't, to me, I didn't feel like the movie really reconciled that. And, you know, like Joe is, Joe is the product of the people who raised him, of his community, of his art, of what he does for a living, you know, being a, a, a music teacher um, and the students he deals with. You know, and, and for them to be like, oh, no, you know, everything when they say, oh, you know what, you thought you were just born with a personality. It's like, well, I mean, Joe <laughs> seems to check a lot of boxes for somebody who was here on Earth, you know, like, he, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just I, I feel like the movie, maybe the movie could have explored more of what made how did the youth seminar make Joe who he was? Because we're clearly seeing how it seems to make everyone else who they are. But like, I don't know, like it, it just, I feel like they never quite reconciled the, the two, the two different approaches to this story, like the you seminar stuff and then the earth stuff. Um, mm. I don't know. You see, the reason I asked is because the way I interpret that was more of a, you know, those, the, um, the personality traits they gave you at the youth seminar were like, just like the base, like the, the base game, you know, like the, the base personalities yeah. and those base core personalities is how you interact with everything as everything else is shaping you, you know, so maybe, so maybe yeah. Joe little um little flower <laughs> little flower badge he had obsession <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you had to be a neurotic artist <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah like it's stuff like that because when um when when they were showing off some of the examples at during the actual seminar itself and he's like the third person like oh that's earth's problem the megalomaniac that's our opportunist mm -hmm. i'm like <laughs> That sounds like a psychopath. 
<laughs> like, like that's the that's the kid where it's like, you know, everyone's nice to this child, and the child's still like killing birds in the backyard. <laughs> like, I definitely think it's very. I agree with um. I was watching Jim's review as well. Um, I thought it it is bleak when you think about it like that. Like how much of this is nature and how much is nurture. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I like that they did with the Great Beyond is that we don't know if it's as arbitrary as they made it seem or not. And while they might have done that, and as adults we're like, oh, that's dark. To kids, that's hilarious. But for us, we're like, oh gosh, no. But um, I think that there are certain traits that we are born with and are, I always think of like, let's think of nerds, right? And we have people decide that they want to get into, sure, the candy, whatever you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> the people. Um, but you know, you have you have all of these different types of nerds and everybody has their own characteristics, but they all have a shared interest. And so even though there are certain personality traits that might have been predetermined, um, it doesn't, I guess, guide us through every aspect of our life. Mm. Yeah, definitely like your experiences too will, I mean, you, you could conceivably, you know, I mean, let me uh, pivot to something real quick and, and, and to kind of set up where I'm going. A lot of like genealogy stuff because this is what happens when you hit middle age. <laughs> like all of a sudden, you're like, let me get into genealogy, and you just start doing family <laughs> tree shit. And like, but then you you're like, wow, you know, you feel you, you're like, am I like this? A hundred years ago, experiences here, and it's like I think to to what you were saying, I was like the the. You get the um, the base ingredient, right? And then whatever happens to you in your life, you might take that and further it, or you might reject it. And um, you know, you're obviously also you know reacting to the world around you and how things have changed as opposed to when they lived or whatever, or like just the fact that you have now more technology than anyone ever had. And so there, you know, your, your range of your, your range of things that you can be exposed to and have knowledge about is even greater because you know, back in the day, you'd have to either travel or crack open an encyclopedia or some shit, but mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, but I, I guess when it comes to like with with Joe and everything, um, he, yeah, I'm I'm curious how much the great beyond. I'm sorry, the great before and you seminar sort of what sort of elements were there that that you know how was he arbitrarily uh, designated by a jury when he was there. You know, I, I, they never mentioned, right? Like, oh, I remember you when you were but a whatever. You know, they only know them when they're numbers. And then when they do die, they're only known by their human name. So, like, when they get to Terry, who is the one that, you know, that's hunting him down, like, there's no 
um, she has to go and, 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 well, I call it she because it's Rachel House voiced it, but I'm actually not sure if the character even has a gender, but that character is, you know, hunting Joe down through the right by his human name. Mm-hmm. But whatever his sole designation number one is lost to them, which is to me a little curious because it's like you would think then so the great beyond just sort of abandons you to the wind then you're literally just thrown down to earth and be like whatever bye you know like, <laughs> you, know? like you, you take no interest in in your handiwork after that of like clearly they must the souls are must be like manufactured there that's the thing we didn't see like where are the souls actually coming from are they like produced in a factory grown in a tube like they just seem like they're just a, bon- a bunch of these little bouncy ball people wandering around there and then just get assigned and sent down. Like, so even that fundamental question, and this is a question they use in like all the marketing materials for the movies, like, where do you come from and all that kind of thing? It's like, they don't even answer that of like, well, what, how, who's making the souls? what if you get reincarnated like what if you go to the great beyond and you go through that light and there's like that zap and it's like a hard reset yeah I don't know because alright if there's a thousand people on earth and they all die and they get a reset right but we have all springs I, I don't think we populate fast enough <laughs> for the amount of souls that are like always coming down to earth yeah right like there must be there must be a uh um waiting period is it like you know a a lottery or something like i don't know i I feel like that's another thing like soul soul was really trying very hard to be as agnostic as possible they didn't want to tip their hands in any direction to any particular organized religion or their beliefs whereas like at least that's the thing i really liked about coco was they were like Look, we are going to embrace and illustrate the way, um, you know, uh, uh, Mexican culture embraces um, their ideas of the afterlife and and how that inter, you know, what that means to the community, their community and, and, and how they sort of um, explain it to their kids and everything and how it's part of how death is a part of their life and and like soul tried so hard to make it as sort of like packaged and and problem free as possible that it to me it actually made created more problems because it's like okay you're kind of picking ideas from different things and that's fine but like they never to me defined what is it then that the what is the point of having a great before if the great beyond is just a white light that you just are obliterated into? Um, and so that's why it's like when you bring up the idea of reincarnation, I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? Are they trying to tell us something by making the, the one of the characters a cat? You know, the whole nine lives thing? I don't know. I think it's interesting that you say that because um, – I'm wondering, I think once again, we have to think about who was the audience that this movie was intended for. 
can't and I can't help. I, <laughs> I don't think it was kids. It was yeah. not for kids. There were. It was a family movie for adults. And so even with the, you know, just questioning, you know, we're just not specifically knowing exactly what religion we're kind of going with. I think one of the Jerry's kind of explained that when um, Joe goes to the great before and he's speaking to Jerry and um, he's just like, why does everything look like this? Because everything looked like, you know, a pre-K. And um, <laughs> Jerry was just like, this is the most easily digestible form for your brain to understand. Yeah. And, and I think we do that a lot. Says it's an illusion, right? Didn't she? She said yeah. something like everything here is an illusion. And so even is this how Joe, is this just Joe's idea of what he thinks life before and after death is? Like that wasn't clear. Well, now you're getting deep, Jim. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Best believe we came into this prepared, and as this conversation continued, I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm just wrong. Because, in my opinion, I agree with Mel's, right? I do think this movie, or this movie is not for children, but I think it was more so pointed towards creatives. Yeah. This movie resonated with people who are creatives or very like strong goal oriented people, you know, or people who yeah, still made for like Pixar, right? Like it's the it's the dudes at Pixar who were brought up by like John Lasseter, right? So they're all in their forties and fifties now, and they've got their kids are growing up, and like we see this with Pete Doctor, right? All his movies are about basically his children, right? Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really beautiful. Um, but like, I feel like with this movie, this is the first time he's kind of stumbled uh, in terms of like defining what it is he's trying to say. Cause I, I, I it just, I just dawned in me like, this is the movie. If you're going to show this to kids, this is how you explain um, why grandma's in the hospital and she's not coming back. <laughs> like, this is like shit. <laughs> this is a, why is John on that weird home now? Well, <laughs> but I see that. Joe's is I've related to every moment, you know? Yeah. And I'm only 28. Like, that moment he had with his mother, what? I wish my mother Maybe you're an old soul, dude. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, I explained what Land Party is to my mother on several occasions. She swears all I do is play video games. And <laughs> I've had moments where, like, some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life was from my barbershop. Was literally from my barbershop. And coming down this path as a, like, a content creator there's a lot of obsession in it because you you become wrapped up in these numbers i like i was that hedge, the hedge fudge the hedge fudge manager that was me i swear to fucking god let it have been like a couple months ago the beginning of quarantine i'm like numbers 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 numbers, oh, yeah. numbers. <laughs> this yeah, movie for children well the, the it, that's another interesting thing right like when they showed the 
when they showed the lost souls, right, they were all mostly probably people that were supposed to be middle-aged, right? Like Mm -hmm. there is no um, 22, even though 22 is, you know, um, an unborn soul, just her own designation means she's one of the first ever souls. And the fact that she's like settled on the voice of being, you know, this middle-aged woman. Was it Tina Fey? Yeah, Tina Fey. So that it's like, you know, the, the the fact that they settled on making her like a middle-aged woman, meaning that she's like been there, done that, and kind of over it. Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely a sort of this movie isn't really for, you know, a young person to like what is it what is a child supposed to take out of this movie? Like if it gets them into jazz, that's great. <laughs> but like Right now, I'm just like, I look like my niece was the test case and she, she ended it bawling, you know, and I'm like, well, shit, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big old F right there. And does it appeal like uh, and it doesn't it was all into Joe and the music stuff. And then it was like um, the minutes, like, bro. And like, here's the other thing, right? Whenever they do show the great beyond, they don't make it seem appealing. Even the music cues are scary and eerie, right? Like he's on that escalator and people are just like sheep to the slaughter, right? Just going like like they're like they're in a slaughterhouse, just going through um into the 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 stall to get killed, um, not thinking. And he's the only one that stops to think, and everyone else is just like a lemming going off the cliff. And it, it, and other Jerry like opens up the little window thing and be like, well, now you can leave and you get the music you and it's all like scary and ominous. Like, again, you're saying the great beyond is to be feared at no point. Did they ever make the great beyond seem like it's something you should accept? You know, it just means he, I mean, cheated, you know? he was also young. And when he was on that escalator going up, and he was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? There was an older soul who was there. And that soul was just like, oh, it must have happened suddenly. Yeah. And Which, so I'm thinking he couldn't accept it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, like I know he's supposed to be like in his 40s. But 40s. like, yeah, that it, was a, that it was, you know, he clearly. But that also made me like I've seen, like I said earlier, like I've seen it three and a half times. Now, so I was thinking the last time I was watching it on Christmas. I was like, well, wait a second. Okay, so he falls through the manhole. That means he gets like really – he must have a bad head injury or something, right? Um, if he's like near death and yet – and that he's like um, having this out-of-body experience, which is basically what it is. But that means he has a head injury and he like runs out of there to go to a gig and then he gets like – Enough, did he like drop dead of his the minute the end credits roll? Like <laughs> weirdly, like a Sopranos kind of ending. The fact that it just ends like that, like did Joe see the leaves and just drop dead because he never he left the hospital without his treatment for this thing that almost killed him. Like you know, you you had to have been pretty badly injured if you're having another 
experience, dude. You know, you didn't just sprain your ankle. You clearly, you like his his body worked fine, right? That means he must have had a head injury. <laughs> this is what that happens if you like times. <laughs> it almost sounds like you had two writers, and there was one writer who was just like, "Okay, he fell in a manhole." And they're like, "Oh, that's yeah. dark." Okay, let's lean yeah. into this. So then he's in the manhole. And then 22 gets dropped back into his body. And um, Joe is now in a cat's body. And they're just like, all right, well, he's got to wake up with a head injury, right? And then one of them goes, well, don't forget, this is still a Disney movie and anything is possible. <laughs> I feel like that's what was happening. Because you're right. He would have had a pretty bad... Never really there. Was the cat in his head the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> and... And when you looked at the fall, the fall didn't look that bad. You quite honest. Like your neck would be broken, dude. You're dead, dead. You're not just like kind of dead. You're dead, dead. Like, <laughs> I, have a, I have another question about twenty two for both of you, actually. Right? When you were the age twenty two, did you somewhat think or act similar to that? Do you think twenty two was more so representative? of an age group? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I mean, when I was 22, I was definitely uh, probably going through my own sort of existential crisis. Um, I think it was probably like, yeah, the fact that they picked 22 is like somebody who thinks they, they've done enough to know like I'm um, over that. Um, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe, but when, yeah, when I was 22, I was definitely, I was never like cocky enough to be like, I know everything. Mm -hmm. but I was also at that point in time, it had been kind of shaken up by some stuff that had happened in life to be like, well, this isn't what I believed when I was a kid kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the age 22 is that point between, well, you're no longer a child so that she's not like the other souls, right, who are clearly children. They have childlike voices and everything and the so, sort of bounciness of a kid. Um, she's, you know, um, a teenager if you, if, you know, or a 20, yeah, 22 year old, I guess. Um Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Now I'm gonna be now I'm gonna be mulling that over. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, when Mel's was 22, couldn't tell her shit. She knew it. Couldn't tell her shit. This is very true. I if I had shit. to say, if I had to pick an age group for the character 22, though, I would actually say with a hundred percent certainty that that spirit was a 12 or 13 year old kid. 12 mm. or 13. Mm -hmm. The mouth you're getting fast, basically. Yeah. There's still the childlike wonder, but like also they don't want to be, they don't want to be bothered with anything. They think they know it all, but there's still that childlike wonder if they see something cool. Bro, I was you at 22. Wow, I guess I had childlike wonder then when I was 22. <laughs> and I continue to have childlike wonder today. No, wait, Jim, Jim, no bullshit, right? That literally was Mel's at 22. Like, that's how long our friendship is. Awesome. And at 22... Okay, I'm not that old. Hold on. Pause. Hold on. Because he said that's how long we've been friends. It's I am 27. 
we're not that old. <laughs> Just relax, <laughs> sir. I think you guys still have plenty of time. You're, you're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> but, but you see that, right? It's that concept where it's like when you're at, like when you're in your 20s, you feel like you've been through it already. It's like, yeah, I've been through that. Yeah. You know, it's that. Yeah, it's, well, it's I'm always, I'm learn now. Because, right, when you're 22, you're, you're coming out of school and, and you know, your early, you know, early jobs and stuff, and you're like, Everyone keeps telling you, like, you know, you're in the real world now and all that kind of shit. And, and like, and so you feel like, okay, well, I'm braced for it. Or, like, I already know what the hell you're telling me because you're not the first one to tell me this, which kind of speaks to her having so many mentors. But, Mel's, I think you're right in that, like, yeah, she's got that sort of, you know, 13 year olds kind of like, I'm too cool to like go do that thing with my parents. But, oh, wow, what is that? That's interesting. That kind of thing, too. Like, she's she's still, like, yeah, she she knows a lot, but she's not wise, I guess, is the thing with 22, right? Like, she, what's her wisdom? She didn't really have any. She just simply was, she had observed, but she hadn't learned, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so, <clears throat> again, this is not a child movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it what's really like. Yeah, it's a very isn't it strange? Like, no inside is like about an adolescent, right? It's it's also it's very accessible to people because you can, you know, we still all have those. We feel like we have those rooms in our mind where. Yeah, you're watching the hockey game instead of paying attention or something like that. This is the first Pixar movie where I felt like they did kind of forsake a certain, um, a lot of their audience and just like zeroed in on maybe too specific a, a sort of age demo for their for their movie. Or maybe they were a little bit too self-indulgent in terms of like, like I was saying, like most of the people who worked on this movie are probably in their forties, and I think it's them working out their issues, right? Like, um, you know, it's like yeah, I, I, well, I have one line in my re- review, like you know, what's the message of the movie to just accept like um, as minimal an achievement in your life as possible? And it's like this is a movie brought to you by people working their dream job. Like it's a it's a weird, weird weird message to send to your audience because it's like yeah you should really just settle and it's like motherfucker you work at Pixar you know like what's the aspirational shithead like what the fuck I wanna, you know don't take my shit from me and tell me I'm oh you should just be happy like I say in my review something like you know it's like the whole thing feels like you're in an uh, uh, an Apple store, right? When you're in the great before. And it's like, they're, they're constantly trying to like add new features to you and shit like that. And then you're like, is the message just be happy that we made you a 4S and start trying to be the 12 Pro Max? And it's like, don't fucking tell me that if you're going to, you know, don't offer me one thing and then wave the other one in front of me. You know, that's just a dick move. <laughs> what do you think your reaction would have been? If the if the message was 
follow your wildest dreams. Mind you, he's 40. Follow your wildest dreams (laughs) while you have the time. How would you feel? Also, there is part of me that, okay, I will say there is part of me that likes that they have a bit of real a, a realism to their um, follow your dream thing because, frankly, we've we've now had what twenty years of like reality competition shows of people wanting to become like celebrities, and all you got to do nowadays is just be on Instagram or TikTok and you become famous for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, it's like. Okay, it, it, the, being celebrated is is not that tough of an achievement, but being really good at something is, and being remembered for being good at something is. Um, so I feel like if they had been like, you can be. I think there is value to that. Uh, like, I, I don't know if you ever saw this movie, The Rookie, and it's like Dennis Quaid is this like over the hill pitcher, and it's based on a real story. And he's like this this like pitcher who gets one last shot at the big leagues, even though he's in the, like his forties. Um, and I, I I do think that there's something. It's 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 leaning into this particularly. Uh, 20th century and 21st century idea, which is that you had better um, do the thing that matters most when you're 20, because if you try to do it when you're 40, who gives a shit? And there might be some truth to that, but the reality is, is that if life throws you a curve at 20, then you'll be like, well, maybe I can try it at 30. And then if at 30 you have a kid or whatever, well, guess what? Like you have to compartmentalize that dream a little further. Um, and just like things happen to you in life. And it's that or you just kind of stop living in order to pursue that dream. And I, I, I think there's sort of, yeah, I just feel like there's a bit of danger to being like putting this uh, ticking clock on your dreams. Although, I mean, the, the the reality is is that it's not like the industry is going to overnight suddenly be like, you know what, forty year olds, you're as cool as a twenty year old. Come on in. Like, it's not. <laughs> but like, but there's something. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly your your story doesn't have value like the, the big thing i remember from like when i was in you know uh writing school when i was younger was and you know being very um uh, mindful of trying to uh, accomplish something when i was in my 20s was okay the, the whole thing of like write what you know which i think is a is good only into a point. I think you should write what you believe because writing what you know when you're only 20 something years old, unless you've really had one hell of a fucking life by 20 to 25, um, you're probably not going to be that exceptional. But by the time you get to 40 or 45 and you have some bit of perspective on how you were at one point in your life versus how you are now, I think does make for a richer story and you some validity to points of view that 
otherwise you're just giving a sort of um uh a riff on a trope or or some sort of hallmark card sentiment if you're saying this message when you're 20 something years old and you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about you know like you're just sort of like well i'm young and vital and important so obviously i know what i'm talking about you know well, you know, maybe you don't. I mean, you might, there, for every really wise 20-year-old, just as for every wise 40-year-old, there's another one just like you who's dumb as a bag of fucking hammers, and they don't have shit to contribute. You know, like, it just, it all depends on the individual. So, <laughs> shout out to my existence. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> shout out to my But... I didn't think of it like that. I, I didn't. I, I tell you, Jim, I had a battle plan for this episode. Okay. <laughs> Have we gone off the rails entirely? It's not that you go off the rails entirely. It's more if if I knew this is everything that you thought, I wish you had more time on your review to get that. I, I did you. <laughs> you were really <laughs> you know I was very confident in my life until this man spoke to me and now I suddenly doubt everything <laughs> <laughs> why did I invite the Grim Reaper onto my podcast <laughs> I'm really freaking guessing this whole idea <laughs> I'm glad to have you here now because it, it gives I think both me and Mel's well I'll speak for myself I can't speak for her but yeah, I've gained some form of perspective also because we also have to look at this as as um as critiques also as a movie as as a movie critic as we we give reviews to, to our honest opinions of how we interpret the movie and the same way we're making points you're going like hmm I don't think like that the same way I'm going like hmm all right maybe I don't think like that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, what I've done is crushed your will to live in anything, any joy that you may have found in this piece of art. <laughs> just like I can't wait to be invited back on. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't wait to your next review. I'm like, mm, that's what you're talking about. Let me go watch it real quick. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. I love when somebody makes me question um, my own thoughts. I embrace it. I invite it. I encourage it. Well, I, you know, here's the thing. Like, I like the movie. I still give it a seven, which is good on our score. And so I added to its like positive thing on Rotten Tomatoes. I just had a lot of like big asterisks with it. And again, like my biggest problems with the movie were just all the soul world stuff. Like I wanted, whenever we were back in New York with Joe, I was like everything I perked up because like I'm actually um, uh, into like um, – some jazz artists from like the 20s like fats waller and like stride piano and all that kind of stuff and like the fact when i first learned about soul at d23 was it last year or the year before i guess last year um and found out it was about jazz and that he's this pianist and everything i'm like holy shit like this is really i'm like super curious now like what they're gonna do with all that and so like whenever they get to the jazz stuff or like life in New York or him and his family, like I was invested and I wanted more of it. And like, I feel like all the, all the great before stuff and especially the great beyond, but the great before stuff made me 
question what the movie wanted me to feel and wanted me to think in a way that I kind of didn't want intruding when I was enjoying myself with Joe and his life on earth. Even when, even when he was at his kind of lowliest stuff, like, okay, you're just, you know, dealing with, you, you know, you're, you're, um, uh, I don't, I don't think he was a substitute teacher, but clearly he was like on a contract before they hired him full time. So like I've been there, not in terms of being a teacher, but I've been like, and like that is kind of what I equated it to, which is, hey, dude, you're fine. You're out of the He's now. Uh, so like, yeah, but shit, I got to go to the office now. <laughs> like, like I, I, I got it. Like. And so, like, the great beyond stuff made me second-guess the stuff that I was enjoying on Earth. And I feel like this was the kind of movie that maybe they could have, maybe they could have, like, screen-tested it a little more and kind of gotten people's feedback. Because I know they, they've done that with, like, other Pixar movies. Like, they did that with Brave. They've done that with almost any Pixar movie, right? Like, Good Dinosaur went through a huge overhaul. But I wonder if because it was Pete Doctor, who is like, you know, I think he's what the CCO or something like he's one of the big wigs at Pixar, and he's like their golden boy, right? Like he made Up and Inside Out and everything, like Monsters Inc. and like he's one of the OG Pixar guys. Like maybe no one felt like able to be like, um, maybe it needs another pass just at the writing stage, and it's kind of up some of the like plug some of these holes. And I don't know. I'm just surmising. Maybe they did. Maybe maybe they thought they had all their bases covered and, and shit just happened. I don't know. Like, I still think it's a good movie. But, like, next to, like, all the other Pixar movies, which I found really exceptional and just great. Like, I, I do. I love Pixar. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the chance to go there. Or if you ever do get the chance to go to San Francisco or Pixar, it is a, um, it really is a, an incredible like facility. Um, so maybe maybe they did give it their all and they just came up short. But you know, I still just had a lot of enough issues with it that I, I have now uh, um, opened the door to being the voice of uh, cr criticism for it in, in in a way that most people aren't criticizing it. Like a lot of people. It seems like most of the conversation now is just about just sort of the vessel in Joe's thing. Uh, and to me, like, that's definitely an issue. But, like, I felt like the, the movie, even if they didn't do that, still would have had these big, like, head scratches. Like, well, wait, what? What are you saying there? Are you sure you want to do that? Like, yeah. I don't know. When, it, when it comes to that whole like vessel and you know representation with our transformation, I, I get it. Like Princess and the Frog, I get it. But yeah. I don't know. In my opinion, Twitter, please don't slay me. Um, in my <laughs> opinion, I felt as if we had to go down that journey just for him to understand because he had that obsessive like nature of him. Do you think? Do you think if Twenty Two had been voiced by an actress of color, would that still have been an issue? Because still, you still have the character, um, you know, 
walk in somebody else's shoes, but like, would it, I mean, I guess then you have to explain in the soul world, like, you know, she said, I can be any voice I want to. I can even sound like you, Joe. And she does his voice at one point. So it's like, did he think of that voice? Did the great beyond assign it? She, at one point they say it's all an illusion. Like I'm unclear as to like who defined what 22 was to sound like and what uh, in, you know, even at the end, right? Like, okay. So she's been voiced by a white woman, this whole movie. And so you're thinking of the character as a white character then. Um, but then at the end, it looks like when they're, when they're going, when they, jump off the into the portal and they're flying down towards earth and they're they're kind of teary hand holding thing and she lets go it looks like she's landing i'm say it looks like she's landing in asia mm-hmm. so it's like i don't know like would it have been different then if if somebody other than tina fey had been um cast in that role what do, what do, you, what do you guys think um I'm gonna go for. I'll make this quick, and I'm um pass a verbal right to Mouse. Um, <laughs> if all right, all right, all bullshit aside, all bullshit aside. If twenty two was to fall into Africa, this movie will go down as the most flamed movie ever, because Black Twitter will slay this shit. Like they're not gonna play. They're not gonna take that. Um. <laughs> And the fact she even fell like into Asia because it looked like she's falling to like China, precisely or yeah. possibly India. Oh man, <sighs> they should have casted a different voice. Yeah, in my opinion, they should have casted a, a different voice. Um, a woman of color, a very mellow, mellow, a mellow voice. Very, she, she sounds she could be young, maybe a little annoying to it, but. They, they, they should have cast a different voice, yes, in my opinion. What about yeah. you, Moss? Um, so I, I think that that's interesting because I honestly did not have an issue with the voice whatsoever. There was never a moment where I was just like, this is a white woman. I honestly was not even thinking about that because I'm not sure if it's... Um, you know, westernized teachings where the universal experience is the white experience. And so we're kind of almost colorblind to white voices in a certain, to a certain extent. I'm not sure if it was that or if it was just um, race, other than Joe Gardner and his family, I would say race wasn't really present when it came to 22 or the great beyond. I wasn't thinking about race. I mean, it's supposed to be a space that's raceless, genderless. I mean, of course you're gonna have actors and actresses that sound, you know, black, Hispanic, Asian, white, whatever, but- That's really interesting because you wouldn't know, like if you look at the voice cast of the Jerry's, like it's Alice, uh, I think her name is actually pronounced, I'm sorry, Elise Braga, because I was doing some press around New Mutants. I always thought it was Alice Braga, but I think it's Elise Braga. Um, Wes Studi, who's the Native American actor, who's a cool dude. He was a uh, Sagat in, um, in Street Fighter, among <laughs> many other things. Um, but, and then they also had like uh, Richard Ayude is in there. And like, so all the Jerry's, 
almost all of them, I think, were played by actors of color. And then, like, Rachel House is, um, uh, she's like Taika Waititi, where I believe she's part white and, and part Maori. Um, she's a New Zealand actor. And I think, yeah, so that is, yeah, that's interesting, right? Because then I, I can't think of any of the Jerry's in the great before that were voiced by a white actor then. Yeah, that's interesting. So they, so the fact that they do then like the, that the one white voice is 22s is kind of, I guess just opens the door to something that maybe they weren't even thinking about. Like they were like, oh, this first cast, but they didn't really think of like, the positioning of who was playing who and when in the story and all that kind of jazz until you see it as a, like a club, you know, I don't, I guess my, my question is what part of her being white exactly were people offended about? I think, I think oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Anna. Yeah. I, got you. Um, I think it was when, and these, it's literally these, I think these two parts precisely that Barbara Sharp scene and um, the scene with his mother. Yeah. The two most pivotal moments and really in his evolution. I mean, so uh, the, I've only seen the movie once and I saw it years ago, but the first time I watched Soul in its entirety, my initial reaction was I thought of Bagger Vance, that Will Smith, Matt Damon movie. And I also thought of like, Spike Lee's criticism of that movie, which is, you know, Will Smith's got better things to worry about than helping Matt Damon with his golf swing. And I was kind of thinking that, like, the first time I watched it with, like, 22, because that that was something, you know, that sprang to mind as I was watching the movie. It's like, wow, they're making her kind of like she's getting the arc that, you know, he isn't getting. But, I, you know, there's also, though, that old screenwriting kind of gimmick of, like, at least when I went to school, they called it. And I'm going to use my French Canadian teacher's accent here just to be not particularly politically correct. But he's got they are called the mother fire and the mother fire. Is, yes, <laughs> that was my French Canadian accent. The mother fire is basically the secondary character to your protagonist that helps cause a change in them. And that is exactly what 22 is meant to do. But 22 takes on a kind of a greater significance. I think by virtue of the fact that you do kind of, um, they sort of uh, uh, um, whittle away at Joe's greater life outside of what we're what we've seen. Like, you know, there's that passing mention of Elisa, so that you have some idea of what his, I guess, what his sexual his sexual uh, life had been that he. Yeah, at some point in time had been in love with somebody and had a girlfriend or whatever, you know, that he's just not this void of a human being, was just sat at a piano his whole life. Um, I, maybe again, like if the movie had just spent a little bit more time developing like him and his world as much as like, or his life uh, on earth as much as they had sort of all the, you know, rules of the great beyond maybe this would all be moot for at least me but like yeah i don't know <laughs> I, I think it's just an interesting to this i was like wait how do we get there i forget now <laughs> <laughs> i thought what it was just an interesting take that 
people had that that was even I think in just this movie specifically I didn't have an issue with it because it was supposed to be that these characters were from the great beyond it wasn't actually a white character I think I might have felt differently if it was I think their fail safe for that was that moment when she was like this is just an annoying voice that I pick that was that was the attempt at the selfie self face yeah like how that was the attempt to see like she only sounds like this like white twitter the like white film twitter trying to make an issue and and talk about things because you know they're cognizant of this and they want to you know um talk about issues but you know it, it is I, i've had i've only read a few pieces by black writers that that have broached that a lot of the things I've read have in, and seen on Twitter have been from a lot of other white uh, film journalists or critics. You know, obviously there's a you know a disproportionate uh, amount of of white voices in film journalism and in film criticism. So I mean, maybe it's just a, a reflection of that sort of uh, particular echo chamber. But do do you, do you think that is this an issue that's being echoed more by white critics than black critics from what you've read or because you you guys both seem to be sort of fairly having two different sort of takes on it which is you know i think a a, a good conversation to you know to have so mm-hmm. also would you like to go first sure um <laughs> Um, I'm sure I haven't actually read a lot of critiques yet. Um, I actually was binging Bridgerton and um, Batwoman as well, but <laughs> so I really haven't gotten better what you were saying than reading Twitter. So that's good points yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm shocked that I haven't seen probably more people taking issue with them saying this was an annoying voice that I chose because I do remember thinking. While watching the movie, I was like, oh, people are going to have a problem with that. I do remember thinking that. Um, I'm not sure if anybody would really want to come out and say it. I'm not sure if they would really want to do that right now. If I mean, if they're feeling brave, go for it. Um, I personally am, I would always be open to hearing the other side. I could understand why someone would be upset about that, but you know, it's always about how you say things and how you present your issue. Um, I think a lot of, I think a lot more black critics are probably just focused on, I don't really know. So I'm not really going to make a comment on that. Greg? (laughs) I think it's a coin toss. I think it's a coin toss. I think a lot of black critics are just, excited at the representation so had from the barbershop to the hairstyles to the the way his mother was behaving because <laughs> it, it was very spot on i thought it was, i thought his mother was the most accurate thing throughout the whole movie yeah, her behavior the her, you better have a plain beat like i'm like damn someone my mom like <laughs> I was having, I was having moments. I'm like, uh, like, so definitely spoke to the black community in, in a plethora of ways that that really touched us. And again, this isn't a kids' movie, 
So <laughs> Tina Fey voicing 22. There are people who are not excited about that, right? I I don't disagree. It should have been Tina Fey, but it's <laughs> when I listen to 22, I see the way 22 acts. I felt like I, I could see Tina Fey being an appropriate voice because of because it was annoying. I'm like, I'm like, shut up, 22. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I caught myself telling 22, shut up a couple of times. Like, shut up. Shut up. You know what you're talking about. Life is hard. <laughs> I'm an adult. Predates, like, I, I, I don't know enough about the actual production of Soul in terms of like who was brought in when. Um, I know that they can recast voices later in the movie. I mean, that's what happened recently with Kelly Marie Tran on uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. I think it's Raya, Raya and uh, the Last Dragon. Um, yeah, because she replaced the actress that was at D23 for it when they introduced that movie in Seoul for the first time. Um, but I, I do wonder if, like, when Kim Powers came aboard and they've been very open, Kemp and, and Pete Doctor, about, like, he was brought on to make sure that this largely white studio was doing a good job uh, depicting the black community and bringing in black voices into the film to, to uh, I, I wonder if I would imagine at that point, Tita Fey was probably already cast and had recorded, but I wonder if that, I wonder if this discussion had ever come up. It would be really interesting to go back and be sort of a fly in the wall on some of these like production meetings and, and sort of, you know, have these kind of honest, and tough conversations with them of being like, well, why are you doing that? And did you think X, Y, Z or whatever like that? And just see sort of, you know, the creative process there because it is the first time, like, let's face it, like they're not having tough conversations when they're doing Monsters, Inc., right? Like they're not, yeah. you know, there's like what fucking tough conversations that they have in Toy Story. Like it's like, you know, whereas like, with with soul it's a it's a and pete doctor talked about this in that long late press day just to bring but like he was very open like look we looked around our company and realized that we're a very white company and we didn't uh once we realized that jazz had to be um the the passion that this character had and we realized that the character then had to be a a, a middle-aged black man um, they realized that they needed to bring in new voices that they didn't have on staff at the time. And, uh, you know, and, and to try and make it, uh, the, you know, make it a film that wasn't just like another one of those movies like from the 60s or 70s where it was like made by white people about black people. But it's really <laughs> Like it's, you know, like they were well-meaning movies at the time, like Stanley Kramer and Norman Jewison and all those guys. But like you, you look at it now through our 21st century prism and you're like, yeah, that's a problem. And like, no, even, you know, a, a very liberal for film Twitter now, you know, but like it, 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 there are parts of like the Pixar process where I wonder, you know, like, 
are you still kind of like that where it's like that i read a piece today god was it vulture or some other site had a i read their piece on on soul and it was one of the few black film critics that actually um at a major like publication that covered the movie and they pointed out that this that soul was uh uh a movie ostensibly aimed even though it's about black characters it's aimed for a white audience and i thought an interesting insight because like yeah it probably is right like it's pete doc and most of the people are white males right like and so it's um i think they're trying and i think it would be it'll be an interesting sort of post-mortem on the movie to be like well you know what would we do if, if soul gets a sequel because you know i guess it's doing pretty well for disney plus like if there's a soul too what are you going to do that's going to you know uh uh up the ante for the movie make it a, a even better movie but sort of like kind of address maybe some of the issues people had with this one i don't know do you think one, do you think Soul will get a sequel? Let me. I'm going to turn the tables here and interview you guys real quick. Love <laughs> it. Do you think Soul will get a sequel, or do you think it needs a sequel, or should there, or should this be a one and done? Greg, you want to go first? <laughs> Why? Thank you, Mark. <laughs> um, realistically, if the Soul needs a sequel, yes. Does it need to be Joe? No. Um, yeah, it doesn't need to be Joe. I think so could get a sequel. Um, and it can't be 22 cannot be the main character. 22 can make a cameo. Um, why do we, why do we need it? Cause after speaking to you, I understand there was a mark missed with children. And I think a second soul could rectify that. That's really interesting. Uh, I, that, uh, Mel's, I, I want to hear from you in a sec. I, I'm, t- I'm sorry, I totally just hijacked you, your podcast, like 22 hijacked Joe's body. <laughs> We're having a discussion. It's all, it's all fair. <laughs> I want to say, like, I, I spent a lot of time in the hospital as a child. I had, um, like, this pretty basically crippling leg disease as a kid and so i spent a lot of time in a children's hospital and i had a, a roommate uh and i was probably only about the little who died and I do wonder like just having you know and having had like sick family members who were children like i know it'd be dark but like a story about a kid who had been sick and sort of dealing with things. If you're going to aim this movie at children, like what if the next one is about a child? I know I'm taking it to a place, but I don't know if you're going to talk about like, and I love my father died when I was nine. I always resented movies. They like characters kind of cheat death. In a way, like I hated the fucking Casper movie because they got—I think they got their parents back—and I'm like, that shit ain't real. You don't get your parents back when they die. Like, like I feel like there's a way you can do a movie 
that doesn't scare children, um, but talks to them for real. Because there are plenty of children out there who've been through traumatic things and, and embrace them for life, but still give them hope because there's a lot of beautiful things about life and hopeful things about life. Um, and, and that like the scary things are scary. You should be scared of them, but you can also grow past that and, and, and embrace the other wonderful things about life. And like, I, I've yet to see anybody actually make a kid's movie, maybe Guillermo del Toro can, but like Love. make a movie that's kind of aimed at children that, that acknowledges that scary shit and permanent shit can happen, but yet still not frighten a child too. I don't know. My pipe dreaming. Maybe a little. I get deafening silence. Well, it <laughs> Boy, sounds you're like really you've got um, <laughs> you got your story. If Pixar wants to pick you up and have you on as a writer, I mean, it sounds like you'll be working on Soul too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They already kind of tried that shit with Onward, right? Maybe, maybe that's what's going on at Pixar right now, right? Like the guy at Onward, like he lost his father when he was a baby, and so his movie was about that. And then uh, Soul is being made by people in their like forties and fifties who are like, "Oh shit, I could drop dead any time." I guess, <laughs> you know, like you know, and, and be like, "Well, what did I do with my life?" They're going through their midlife crisis thing, um, and even Coco, I don't know the story. <laughs> yeah, Disney's like, we're going to talk about some shit, people. <laughs> you know, put oh your mouse here. <laughs> <shit. Real. laughs> you know? Did Onward come oh, out? Um, yeah. Was that <laughs> while Disney Plus was like a new platform? Or was Onward in theaters? Onward was, that the Onward, Onward was actually, yeah, Onward, believe it or not, that movie still only just came out this year. I know it feels like 10 years ago because really? of 2020. Yeah, it only came out in March. That's how long this fucking year has been that Onward only just came out in March. But it might as well have been 20 years ago. Um, yeah, Onward came out very briefly in theaters and then they shut down the theaters and then Disney, along with other studios and retailers, video retailers, pivoted to putting things on VOD, at least trying to recoup some of their money. So onward, that's how I watched it. I, I uh, missed, we had somebody else cover the, the junket in the review for the movie, so I didn't get a chance to um, see it uh, on a big screen. I didn't see it until it was on Disney Plus a few weeks later. But that's what happened with that one was it was released in theaters and then they shut all the theaters down because of COVID. And so Disney, like a week after that was like, Fuck it, let's put it on Disney Plus, and uh, so that's on most people. That, the only reason I ask is because I'm wondering. Since I know these these movies were in production way before um, COVID happened and everything shut down, but I remember I haven't seen Onward yet. It is on my list of things to watch, um, yeah. but I do remember the critiques and people saying it was very dark. And um, they were like, why would you make this a kid's movie? Like, his father is dead. And I was just like, what? what is going on? And then we see Soul. And Soul doesn't really paint the afterlife with cotton candy and flowers and the other things that children like. Sugar Spice, the Powerpuff Girls. And um, <laughs> With the Powerpuff Girls dead? 
holy shit. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> that is dark. <laughs> but um, I'm just wondering if maybe with the streaming platform, they're kind of more comfortable because I'm sure the streaming platform has also been in the works for a while. I'm wondering if they're more comfortable with reaching out to a different demographic. I mean, maybe these movies aren't meant for children and that's why um, I don't know, maybe with the streaming platform, they're just like, hey, we don't have to market towards kids, just kids. I don't know. And we know I, that I, I millennials know. love. I, I, I think that speaks to a sort of broader um, conversation they're having with a lot of their content, especially the content they've now acquired from Fox, which made darker adult fare, like everything from Logan to Deadpool to Aliens to Die Hard to Planet of the Apes, like like that's heavier stuff than is necessarily aimed at children. But I, I think I think with the Pixar stuff, I sense that it's probably more it's because these are being made by filmmakers that have been at that company for a long time, have made a lot of hits for them, and they're older now and they they're artists, they're exploring what is it that you want to explore as a human being and kind of like deal with therapy. And they're dealing with issues of mortality, perhaps, and they they were able to deal with when they were younger and had less clout, but also probably less inclination to want to go there and like investigate it. I think there's probably some of that, and and Disney probably didn't even fucking think of that. Like they're probably just like, oh, these guys who made these hit movies want to make this. Sure, you guys print money first. Go do what you want to do, and here we are. <laughs> you know. Mm. Well, I do want to circle back to um, the question of should there be a sequel? And honestly, real talk, I was like, no. I feel like if they did another sequel, they might be forcing it, and we all know what ha we know what happens when Disney tries to force a sequel, and it just doesn't yeah. work out. <laughs> But after listening to what Greg said and even him, what you said, I think it would be really cool to see something that maybe is more child friendly since they already went the adult route. So it's like, all right, kids, you can have a turn. Um, I think the first one was definitely not a movie that you could put in a box. And I think that was the point of making the great beyond um, as void of everything as it was and the reason why you have so many questions we're supposed to have questions and i think if i don't think they have to answer them in the sequel but i do think it would be nice to see a more child-friendly sequel Ooh. quick pivot quick pivot before i wrap this up maybe a tv show each season is a different story different story Too much. you think so all right fuck it yeah <laughs> Solve crimes, you know, <laughs> so it'll be a cat like for a week or something, <laughs> like a buddy cop. Oh my god, yeah, be like yeah. we're gonna have to go back to the great beyond and get some information, <laughs> all right, Jim. It was a pleasure having you today. Do you have anything else coming up in so 2021? Yeah, thank you. You guys have a great Happy New Year. It was a pleasure to meet both of you, and uh, I'd love to do this again sometime.
you know? Um, trust me, I will be stalking the IGN's uh, YouTube for your next critique. And uh, we will have a large-ass Twitter thread. <laughs> I look I'll forward to it. looking for any writing. Any well, scripts in the, in the work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mostly uh, I've been working on uh, some plays and things like that right now. So maybe my play will get turned into a Netflix series. I think Netflix is probably you want to go with Netflix because they got the money right now. Right. Like that's kind of the True. gig. You go work at a studio. I mean, you got to you got to look, I just want that retirement fund. I don't have any kids of my own. Like who's going to wipe my ass when I'm 80? I need to Oh man! So, it real. That's the name of my old podcast. Was keeping it real, and it was mostly about movies. But it's what I do. It's why I take it to dark places every now and then. So, I hear that Jim is looking for a nurse. <laughs> that's a nurse. right. <laughs> Not old man needs nurse eventually. There's your there's your job. Also, let let your bosses know keeping it real under the IGN flagship. Just saying. I'm telling you, man, I've been, they've been whole other story. That could be a whole podcast right there is me talking about my podcast and what went wrong there. But like, it'll be, I'm trying, dude, I'm trying. We had a great thing going for a long time and we still get hit up all the time by um, our old listeners and, and the viewers. Cause we had some segments on, we, we did a couple seasons, seasons. There weren't even seasons. We did, we did like two years of, of of them where we did them both as audio and video and they were like pretty popular videos and and you know we had a good following from that and then the show just ended uh kind of unceremoniously and um yeah so i i definitely my my heart goes out to this people with the fan campaigns are like my favorite science fiction show was canceled i'll bring it back you're like well good luck it's very difficult to revive a thing once somebody put a knife through it. But let's we'll keep going. We'll try. <laughs> you got keeping the real twenty twenty one. That's right. That's right. It'll be even realer, even darker. Watch out. <laughs> I love it. Thank awesome. You, Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. I wish you both a very happy New Year. You too. Thank you. you too. Thank you for coming on today. Of course, of course, of course. You know, so, I love a great conversation. I know. So everyone out there in the interwebs, you want to catch Mel's again, starting back in 2021, later half of January, early of February. Her show will be on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Podcast. She hosts the girls show every other Wednesday. And you can find Jim at IGN. That's right. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Even though we've been down this road, and I know it's far from flawless, you'll be coming home regardless.